and welcome to the Pragmatic Live podcast series, where we tackle the biggest challenges facing today's product management and marketing professionals with some of the best minds in the industry. I'm Rebecca Kalajuris, Vice President of Marketing at Pragmatic Marketing, and your host for this episode. Now, last year, we had the pleasure of having Josh Martin on our webinar series talking about his experience with personas and positionings at Logi Analytics. And it was a great webinar, and it is a great story, and so I asked him to join us on our podcast. Hello, Josh. Hey, how are you? I am excellent. All right, Josh, can you give us a little bit of background on yourself and on your company? Sure. So my company, Logi Analytics, uh, we uh, are an analytics development platform. Uh, frequently, we compete in the BI space with companies, uh, helping companies that are looking to embed analytics within their software, and we primarily focus on product managers and developers that don't want to use open source components or build things in-house uh, on their own. So that's kind of our primary market niche. And for me, my background, I've been with Logi almost two years now, and before joining Logi, I spent most of my career actually as an industry analyst um, identifying market trends and determining where the future of technology was headed. Excellent, excellent. All right, and you went through um, maybe a challenge is too big a word at, at Logi Analytics, but, but there was an opportunity. You had a challenge that you were trying to work on. Uh, tell us a little bit more about that. Absolutely. So the company a few years ago, uh, probably about three years ago now, decided to launch a, a product called Logi Vision, and Logi Vision was meant to chase after the data discovery market, right, the tableaus and clicks of the world, because it was a, a hot market, it was an attractive market, and there was a lot of investment in that area. So we built a product, we dedicated resources to it, and what we determined after launching that product was, you know, the people that we sold to, the companies that were interested in buying our platform, were not the end user land and expand data discovery kind of BI analyst that was out there. So at some point we made the determination after about a year in the market that this was not working for us, right? We were spending too much money on marketing, we were inefficient in our sales operations, uh, we had to make the decision to say, what do we really do well, and who are the people that buy our product, and how do we actually compete? And that kind of set us off on this journey, which we'll, I think, talk about through the remainder of the podcast, where we spent time identifying who those people were and then had to ingrain that idea in the entire organization. Yes, let's absolutely delve into that topic. Let's talk a little bit first about how you identified the right people, the people that you really needed to target. Yeah, so one of the key things that we wanted to do was to make sure that we were looking at the right people. So we started with a lot of internal resources, and this was really critical to us was how do we you know, look at the top of the funnel, make some determinations on what customers were uh, successful with our product. So we, we leveraged a lot of internal resources. We looked at things like Salesforce. We spent a lot of time working with the sales team directly to understand where companies were dropping out of the funnel, where were our win rates were the highest, what types of company sizes were they. And that's where we started because that was, quite honestly, the easiest way for us to start, right? We had this kind of massive data set available from years of conducting business. So we started there, and then we said, now that we've identified the types of people that are associated with accounts, right, that was the most important thing. So on the deals that we were winning, who were the people, what were their titles, and how involved were they in developing the products that they were bringing to market themselves? And we came up with the idea that, you know, product managers and developers were frequently found in the deals that we were winning because we have an analytics development platform, right? We're not necessarily selling a piece of software that is off the shelf and ready to go. It's something that's designed to be embedded within software. So um, we made the decision to say, how do we get 
into the hearts and minds of the folks that we are most successful with so that we can expand the business and be more successful. So you sort of segmented out the type of accounts you had success with, and then you dug into there to identify the roles and people that you that you found in those type of opportunities. Absolutely correct. So that was that was our primary way of making some market decisions at the very high level at the top of the funnel. And as we began this process, now it helps quite honestly that we've had a lot of folks um, that have been here for a very long time. Right? We have a, a very established sales team with managers that have. You know, six or seven plus years experience at our company. Our CEO uh, has worked basically in every single department from when he started at the company, I think, 10 years ago. So we also had a lot of internal expertise that we leveraged. So it was a combination of taking a bit of our gut and then verifying a lot of it with the data and information to see how we were actually being successful, which customers were renewing. And those are the types of questions we asked ourselves to determine, is this right? Because the last thing we wanted to do was to make the wrong decision and say, we think this is where we're successful because maybe we've sold there in the past and go down a path that was unsuccessful for us. I think it's really interesting and smart that you not only looked at purchase data but renewal data when you were looking at, you know, what really identified a, um, a the best accounts, right? It's not just who I bought once from but who has a continual, had the highest sort of lifetime value for a customer. Absolutely, and it's something that we're still really focused on now because as we're, you know, now a year and a half after this process started, we've continue to refine that, right? So I think one of the key things that I've learned through this process is when you're segmenting out your user base and, and your customer base, is it's, a, it's kind of a continual process, right? As you go through this type of change, it's not a, well, now we've identified our persona, everything's great. It's uh, <laughs> now we've identified our persona, we're targeting the right accounts, we're bringing the right people in. Are there more ways that we can refine our approach to go to market? Because I mean, we're a decently sized company, but we're certainly not uh, a company that's you know, willing to waste money on going after markets that we're not necessarily going to be successful in. Well, that makes a lot of sense. And I, and I know that when you turned over your personas, when you identified your personas, you didn't just say, here's our persona named Bob. You know, he's a product manager at companies with $500,000 in revenue or $500 million in revenue. Good luck, right? You really yeah, exactly. Develop. <laughs> that, that wouldn't be a really compelling persona to, to write copy for or to design products for, but I suspect you went a little bit deeper. So let's talk through that. How did you flush out your personas? Yeah, so we spent a lot of time, I spent a lot of time, based on my research background, trying to really target that. It's, it's kind of interesting. One of my colleagues sent me a, a funny comic, and at the end of it, you know, basically the person's describing the persona, and it's like, exactly, his name is Bob, and he works in marketing, and he's a product manager, although I don't know how those two things would be related to each other. And at the end, the person says, well, how does that help me? And they say, well, I'm in marketing, you're in sales, you figure it out. And I wanted to avoid that scenario, because one of the key things that I was struggling with is how do we get to operationalize this information. So I started at a very high level. Okay, what is a product manager? Who are they? Like we, we know these things kind of instinctively about who they are and what they do, but we started, again, started at a very high level. So what data was readily available to me? And that's where I started from. So I looked at things like obviously yourselves at Pragmatic have some great uh, survey data. I looked at um, other product manager organizations that had other survey data. And I really tried to focus on the data I could get right away. So what can I go and spend maybe a day, maybe a day and a half collecting? And I just kind of amassed all this information at a very high level. And that gave me great insight into you know, demographics, into career trajectory, into um, educational background, like all the things that you really need to understand to say, how did this person arrive at becoming a product manager? And then taking it one step further into what did they actually do when they became a product manager and what do they care about? And going 
taking that research to the next level was important because the survey data and demographic information was useful, but what we really wanted to uncover was, you know, what are they doing on a day-to-day -day basis, right? And the way that we did that was literally going on LinkedIn and looking through job recommendations, looking at people's profiles, seeing what they had accomplished and what they were proud of, and seeing what other companies that are hiring product managers and developers were interested in. And I was convinced that I was going to get a you know knock on my door from IT asking me why I spent my entire day looking for other jobs online. <laughs> but um, it was really useful and informative to us to get a sense for how these people are judged and how they're basing their uh, own, own vision of success on it. And that's kind of where we started. And we built this very long, extensive, comprehensive deck. And one of the key things in building the information was providing takeaways to the sales team on every single step. So, okay, this is the demographic profile. That's great for marketing, right? We can go and target some campaigns and, and do some other things, but also thinking through who else was going to use the deck internally. So we had you know, a marketing objective, we had a sales objective, and what we discovered through this initial process was, not surprisingly, that these people wanted to be consultatively sold to, right? They don't want to get a knock on their door that says, hey, we, you know, we saw your website. It's beautiful. You know, we all get those kind of um, one-off emails now about how our product is great. Um, but they really wanted you to know what their product was, what it did, how we could help them, and position ourselves as experts in the analytics space and specifically software analytics to bring analytics into their application and make it more valuable and more useful for them. So aligning our discussions around what mattered to them was really important. So one of the things I struggle with uh, when I make personas is, or do win-loss or any number of things, is um, I go out and I do a ton of research, and I love that part, right? I love the research, I love the interviews, uh, the win-loss, and I have all this information in my head, and um, then I get busy, and you know where that information stays, Josh. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, so. it is a big challenge. So for <laughs> us, we, we as a company just decided this was going to be a priority for us, and we actually... Uh, anchored some of the research and things like our sales kickoff. So we had a, a you know a hard and fast deadline of this is something that we're going to do. This is something that we have to deliver. And in fact, even this year, a year and a half after we started the project, we're updating it, and we've been updating it ever since. But uh, we as a company have institutionalized that internally. So whenever somebody starts uh, working at Logi uh, in different roles or responsibilities, whatever they're doing, they are listening to recordings of this deck that we've created over the course of the last year so they understand why we're building our product in a specific way, why we're selling our products in a specific way, why we're targeting very specific companies. And I kind of feel bad that all these people have to listen to me draw on for you know, 50 <laughs> slides because it was in a, it, it just an abundant amount of research that we did. But it gets everybody on the same page to understand why we do things the way that we do them. And the other thing that I think is really critical is the idea that these pieces of research and personas don't need to go away, right? They don't build, get built once and then, and then you stop focusing on them. So let me give you one example is we did all this work on identifying the, the product manager. And we did, I think, some cool stuff. We, we looked at things like what is their personality type and what are some, you know, personality types of other characters that you may be familiar with. So like product managers are INTJ, and we found some examples of, you know, characters from movies like Elsa from Frozen. I have uh, two little kids, so that movie is top of mind to me, uh, is an INTJ character. I don't know how they got her to sit for that test, but we'll <laughs> ignore that for a minute. 
Um, but then it was, to me, the original in incarnation of our persona was a little bit wooden in some ways, where it was like, this is who they are, and this is how they got to their job, and this is what they do. So I decided to go about more research, right? I looked at profiles of these people on um, different groups, like Product Tank has global organization where they have meetups locally for all these different types of people. And people are writing about what makes them great product managers, and they're writing about what they love about their job. So we pulled a lot of that data together. and. What we got was a richer picture of who these people are, that they're very passionate, they're very empathetic, that they really care about what they're doing and what they seek to achieve. And that gave us another level of, okay, well, not only do we want to provide these people with you know, useful information, but we want to care as much as they care. And we want to demonstrate that we care as much as they care because they want to put some great stuff out into the world. And we want to make sure that we relate how our product can help them do that. And, and we're confident that we can, but it's a story we need to do a better job telling. So how do you deliver that and how do you keep that um how do you keep the persona alive, right? You know, there's the 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 recording they listen to when they start, but how does that stay alive as just like part of the DNA of your product team and what you're looking to do? So we do a couple of different things. I think the the number one thing is that we talk about the persona all the time, right? I was uh, at a pragmatic training probably a year ago, and they were talking about how some companies even have like birthday parties for the persona. We haven't quite gotten that far yet, although I'm always willing to take an excuse for an extra slice of cake. <laughs> but what we've seen is that by taking the persona and integrating it throughout our entire organization, we've been able to make people understand and remember who this person is. So let me give you some examples. Like we have you know, a list of our key competitive differentiators, and we look at those through the lens of our persona, right? What do these people care about, and how can we identify how our unique selling propositions relate back to the things that they care and concern themselves with? When we think about doing win-loss, we make sure that we're talking to the right persona of people to ask the right questions to. When we're doing marketing, we're targeting things to the right people. When we're doing um, you know, identifying our sales processes. We want to make sure we're talking to the right people and ensuring those people are part of a deal so we don't um, find ourselves in a situation where we're trying to sell our product to someone that's not going to buy it. So I would say there's probably not a day that doesn't go by where we're not thinking about some process that involves our persona. And at the end of the day, the question is, is this the right decision for our persona? And we've been able to institutionalize that. Now, the truth is we've been pretty lucky because we have a couple of personas. You know, it's uh, one or two types of people and they generally work together versus, you know, like a consumer packaged good, good, goods company where, you know, you have like a thousand different people, right, that you're trying to sell to. So uh, we've been very, very thorough in our research and very detail-oriented and made sure everyone understood who our key personas are and what matters to them and, and got everybody on board. But I could see if you have, you know, a consumer good that you're trying to sell to thousands of different types of people, it would be a lot harder to do that. So we, we kind of have the luxury of focus, but we also haven't been obliged to sell to thousands of people, which is actually one of the key lessons we learned from the launch of this product, Logi Vision, several years ago, which was everybody was different. Every end user had different needs. If you were in a different industry or a different place in your career or a different part of the country or a different part of the world, right, you had a different um, message that we needed to deliver to you. So we weren't, we just weren't able to accommodate that as a company. We weren't able to accommodate that from a product development perspective. We weren't able to accommodate that from a marketing perspective. So what we decided to do was say, these are the people we win with. Let's get to know them really, really well and make sure that when we talk to them, that we're not trying to sell them something. We're trying to understand what their problem is and determine if our product actually solves that problem for them. Nice, good targeted approach. Where, um, so you talked about the, that your personas came up in, in touching a process almost all the time. Talk about the different 
places you use Persona, the different things that, that uh, they affect, processes and systems and the like? Yeah, so what I think is interesting, over the course of the last year, I don't think any major decision has been made without us thinking about who the persona is and and uh, what that impact will have on the persona. So things like when we look at ideal customer profile, we think about it through the lens of are they part of our ideal persona, not as an individual, but right, does, does the company fit a profile of companies that are likely to have these people working there when we're segmenting out um, accounts and responsibilities, we think about, do we talk to the right people? How do we target them? From a marketing perspective, we probably have seen the biggest shift. Like there's been a lot of operational backend things that have changed in the sales team. But from a marketing perspective, we've completely changed our entire tone and go-to-market strategy. We went from the kind of casual, fun, like, hey, guys, please read our email. You'll really enjoy it, kind of fun, quirky marketing style to a very kind of direct, more kind of thoughtful approach of, you have a problem, here's how we think we can help you solve it. And what's interesting, I think, is several years ago, um, we would have to retrofit some of our messaging from the U.S. to our U.K. team because they'd have their own set of campaigns and they'd be running them and they'd say, hey, you know, this is just far too casual for our for our um, audience here, for our prospect base. You have to, you know, make it a little bit more kind of stiff upper lip. And since we've made this transition, we've kind of globally made a change here that doesn't require um, differences in different regions or different parts of the country or different parts of the world because what we've identified is that across the globe, product managers are product managers are, are product managers and therefore um, we're able to talk to them effectively no matter where they are as a result. But it's also changed things like who do we partner with, right, from a marketing perspective? What kind of content are we creating? So over the, the course of the last year, our thought leadership has really changed to be more about how do you effectively embed analytics within your application and how do you manage to um, transition from old technology to new technology? How do you monetize the investments that you're making in these areas versus like visualizations and dashboard design? And those things are attractive to certain uh, market uh, users or certain market segments, and, and those are great. And there are certain companies that serve those markets really well, and those pieces of content are still somewhat helpful for us. But when we evaluate the success of content now, we think about how many people that are in our persona actually downloaded it, how many of them became you know leads, how many of them became opportunities, and how many ultimately closed. So it's sort of its full circle where we've tried to target more and more and more of the content towards our persona, and then we're measuring it more and more and more about uh, whether or not it's actually resonating with the persona and how that's actually filtered through the rest of the sales process. Yeah, that's great. So then you've been able to sort of quantify the effects of this change, which is just going to build up more and more momentum to to um, continue to really leverage those personas. Absolutely. And I think one of the key things now is even though, you know, we're pretty comfortable with who our persona is and what matters to them, it, it is an ongoing process. And I kind of said it before, last year we, you know, we collected data from profiles. I ran an independent survey that we were using internally to make some important decisions around marketing and product. Uh, but it's also about looking at what other companies are doing that are targeting your key persona. That's one of the projects I've been working on over the last few weeks is really just trying to figure out that last mile. So we have some ideas about what we think is the best way to, you know, talk about our product and talk about the challenges product managers are facing. But we are, we're kind of in a bubble, right? Every company is in their own little bubble of what we think works and what we think doesn't work. And some things surprise us that work and some things surprise us that don't work. So we're trying to get a broader view of, 
how other companies that are talking to our persona are are doing it, right? Do they have a different tact? Do they have a different approach? Are they doing something completely outside of the box, and, and is that working for them? So uh, the point is, after 18 months of this project, a year and a half or so, this is something that we're continuing to think about every day. It's something we are continuing to invest in. It's something we're still trying to get better at. And again, that's because we're focused on these on these individuals that are a small segment of the market, right? And because there aren't tens of thousands of our persona out there or hundreds of thousands of our persona out there, we need to be more contemplative and thoughtful and approaching them with how we can actually solve their problems because the key research has shown they don't want to be sold to. They don't want fluff. They don't want us to go out there and say, we can do a whole bunch of things that we can't do um, because they're going to see through that. Being in a, a similar audience, right? Yes, product managers are, they're smart, right? There's no question. There's no reason to, you're not going to fool them. That's for sure, right? Absolutely. And that's, and, and in the world we live in today with, you know, automated marketing and sort of, uh, people getting phone calls constantly, you know, we have to find a way to break through that noise because if we don't, then we're not going to be doing a service to them. We're not doing a service to ourselves. And in fact, what we've seen for product managers, right, they're more likely to turn, tune you out and not want to talk to you again, even if you have a good solution, if you, you know, poorly represent yourself the first time you interact with them. So we want to make sure that we're doing a better job of understanding their problems and on those first phone calls that we hear that we that we understand what their challenges are and talk to them intelligently and we have a you know a range of experience at our company from you know folks that are recently out of school to people that have been well established in their careers for 25 years and one of the key things about the persona is getting all those people on the same page and ensuring that you know the the entry level salesperson that's going to have a conversation can at least provide some level of value to these folks so that we're not wasting their time because obviously like any company we have you know a range of activities to go to market with but we want to make sure that when we talk to a product manager uh, or developers or their teams that we are focused on solving their problems no matter who they're talking to and that starts with knowing what their problems are and how our product solves it but really making it about them excellent Excellent. All right. So in this process, you've probably learned a lot of lessons. What are two things you wish you knew in the beginning that you've learned now, like things that would really help someone who's listening to us when they're doing their persona projects? I think number one, the lesson that I learned was you, you just have to put in the time, right? And there's so many different resources that are available to you as a, as a person that's trying to create a persona. You can look at you know, surveys, you can look at social media, you can look at profiles on LinkedIn, like there are thousands of different things. So I think number one is make a decision on what sources you're going to trust and rely on and collect the data. And then when you get to a point where things are starting to sound repetitive, so you see the same thing over and over again, you probably have hit a point where you're not going to necessarily get a lot of new information. And that might be the time to say, okay, I've collected data for the last you know day and a half. Everything seems like I've seen it before somewhere. Now I'm going to stop. And that tends to be a problem for me because I always think that maybe the next data piece that I find or the next conversation that I have will uncover, you know, something enlightening that I otherwise may not have found, but it's really important to follow what is it, the 80-20 rule basically where, you know, you do 80, you know, within the first 20%, you get 80% of the work and then there's marginal return after that. So I would say put in the time up front, determine the, the sources of information you want to collect from, but also start with 
like the easy stuff, right? Don't make it harder on yourself. Start with your internal resources and focus on the data that you can collect easily. And once you finish that process, determine where your gaps are and what else you need to do. And the second piece, I think, is I wanted to do everything all at once immediately. And that's probably one of the reasons I wanted to uncover more and more insights. But personas don't necessarily have to be introduced as a fully fleshed person into your company and you're never going to talk about them again. So I probably would have taken a little bit of a slower burn. I, I'm completely serious when I say that my persona deck initially was probably 25 slides, of which every slide had 300 words on it. It was insane. So I probably would have taken a slightly different approach of you don't need to know everything this person does from you know the moment they wake up to the, from the time they were born until they became a product manager and what they want to do when they retire. Um, but I think a lot of that detail was useful. I probably would have introduced it a little bit more slowly. I would have started a little bit higher level and then slowly drip that in and, and try to round out the person over time because uh, I think there might be a, a willingness to tune out additional information because you know so much at that point where it's like there's nothing more you could possibly tell me about a product manager that I don't already know versus, hey, this this month or this quarter we're going to talk about their next career path or how they're kind of motivated by their job. I think we could have done more of that. Um, but I, I definitely think we demonstrated a mastery of our persona internally that got people to buy in because it was the first time we'd really done that as a company and invested the time at least over the last few years to have done that. So we earned the respect of people, but I still think um, in looking back on it, it was probably um, extensive. We were just working with a, a third party company that was talking to us and they had seen our persona and they said they're you know, having nightmares about product managers now because they just know so much about them, which I actually took a little bit of pride in, but at the same time, <laughs> I think it is, it is a reminder that we probably don't need to know the level of specificity we got to. Or at least to your point, you uh, release it earlier so you start to get some of the value and you keep iterating and going deeper. And Absolutely, because it never ends. Yeah, and that call for perfection is, uh, I think, built into product marketing and product management people. That can be difficult, so it's a good lesson. It is very hard to not try to get the last piece of data that you think could change the game for you. Yes. But we've we've been very, I mean, we've been very happy, at least I've been happy, and management has been fairly happy with uh, how the company has kind of taken on the idea that this persona is someone that we should care about and someone that matters. And, um, you know, our marketing team is now putting up posters around the office of the persona and who they are and what they care about. And at our kickoff coming up uh, in a few weeks here, we're going to be doing more work on the persona. So I think the final thing that I would say about kind of the evolution of this person and the persona in general is if you want people to continue to buy in, you have to demonstrate that you're continuing to invest in it and that it still matters and it's still a priority. And I think we've effectively done that here, and I hope that we continue to do that. But that also kind of plays into the, the drip approach, right? Because if you release things over time, it shows that you're still investing in these people. Yeah, we actually have a game that we play, which we call Persona Poker, which I'm not sure is the best name for it. But we've actually got cutouts of our personas. Uh, we have five, uh, and they're on popsicle sticks. And then we'll we'll tell a little bit about someone, and and it's and it's just like you you raise the popsicle stick that you think is that persona, right? We give all kinds of different pieces about it, but it's just a way to to reinforce and keep it fresh. And and pretty much any time I can. That would be interesting. Game. It would be easy for our people to do that because we really have one. So right, I'm not yeah. sure how how useful <laughs> okay. that would be, but yeah, that means, uh, you know. That yeah, might not work it does sound like an interesting little game, though. That would be as if and more if and when we get more, it would be interesting to do something like that. It's a fun way of playing. But. All right, Josh, this was great. Is there anything you want to add for the audience? 
I think at the end of the day, there are just tons of resources available. I would say don't feel intimidated by the level of effort you need to do to create a persona. The information's out there. Go out and collect it, analyze it, and you'll have something, I think, really great that people respect at the end of the day. And it could really change the entire way that your company does business if you do it effectively. That's awesome. All right. Thank you, Josh. We need to do this again sometime. Sounds good. Thanks a lot, Rebecca. All right, and that does it for today's episode. Thank you, everyone, for listening. And don't forget to join us next week when we tackle another great topic designed to help you elevate your product, your company, and your career.